If you don't engage in innovation, you will be disrupted. I don't think there's any question about that these days. This is um, a new business skill that you have to master in order to have a sustainable business. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. I'm super excited to hear from the leaders, experts and influencers around the world who are shaping the way our metals industry in New Zealand evolves and innovates. That's why you'll hear me and the HERO team interviewing many of them while bringing our own viewpoint as well. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today our conversation is with Ross Pierce, Program Manager Design with Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Ross is passionate about innovation as a discipline that can be taught and learnt. Ross, innovation is at the core of both HERO and Callaghan Innovation, obviously. But the weird thing is that if you ask five different people what innovation means to them, you'd probably get five different answers and it almost becomes meaningless. What does innovation mean to Callaghan and yourself and how does it differ from R&D? To me, innovation is the business discipline of value. That, that's at a very high level. And to differentiate that with R&D, R&D is really the discipline of, of um, technology, of, of researching and developing and closing technology challenges. So that, in a way, is a subset of innovation. Innovation is identifying the value opportunity. R&D is closing any gaps around that through technology. And what would you see as the immutable forces that are driving innovation? Well, um, obviously, everybody's very aware of the rapid change of technology, and that's causing chaos in, in the business environment because the cycle times are very rapid and they're all intersecting with each other from biotech through to digital um, materials, technology, robotics, artificial intelligence, all of those things are in a perfect storm at the moment. So it's very difficult to um, predict what's going to pop up even six months out at the moment. So that's a real challenge for business. But overlaying that, of course, we've got climate change, which is is, um, people beginning to understand what that means now with storms and fires and uh, irregular weather patterns. And and recently in the the press was a huge iceberg, which is about to break off and possibly raise water levels by 650 millimetres around the world over the next 10 years. These things um, make it really complex. There's a move away from fossil fuels into... Um, renewable energy sources, solar, wind. Um, meanwhile, there's a massive urban shift going on around the planet. So people are moving from urban areas to, uh, from sorry, from um, uh, um, rural areas into urban areas, which is uh, creating super cities around the planet. Um, it will have an impact on population, people think, where it would possibly re- see the population um, start to decline mid- mid- this century because obviously when you live in a city, you don't have a large family to, to help um, with the farm um, and provide you with a, a retirement plan. In the city, um, things are more expensive and you want the best for your child, so that those families tend to have smaller families, so that, that uh, hopefully we'll start to see a reduction in, in the population. But all these things um, uh, create a perfect storm. The 
energy, for example, I read the other day that the, it's expected that by 2040, which is now only 20 years away, that the energy that computers use will be more than the energy that we currently produce in the world today. So we've got real challenges ahead um, uh, on every frontier. And the way to solve those is to master innovation. So at HERA, we talk about the three horizons of innovation, and I know you're a real fan of the 10 types of innovation model. Can you run us through that? Yeah, so people talk about the the three types of innovation. They'll often talk about horizons, high horizon one, two, and three. I I prefer to describe those as based around um, the customer that you currently have, customers that you uh, currently don't have but can get to without too much effort, and then beyond that, customers that you don't currently have and you can't currently get to, and that's the rest of the world, really. Um, And um, a company that is innovating well uh, has innovation projects in those three areas. And it's really important to to innovate in the third area, particularly in in the world of rapid change, because if you want to still be a business that's viable, maybe eight, ten years out, you know that the business environment is going to be completely different than it is today, probably fueled by AI, Uh, and digital um, transformation. So you've got to think about those things now to make sure you're still relevant um, out in that space. And so applying that across the 10 types of innovation, which is a mindset really to understand that innovation is not just about product, but about all those other things. And as I said at the beginning, it's a value-based process. It's a human-centered process about identifying and optimizing value. So at one end of those 10 things is customer engagement, understanding the customer, understanding the customer's aspirations um, and how they want to improve their life. And at the far end, opposite end of that would be how you make money out of that and the profit model tactics that you can use to make money and all the things in between from product, brand, um, service, process, how you use your network, all of those things combine to provide commercial advantage through good innovation practice. So HERA works a lot with the Lean Startup Innovation Methodology, which overlaps a lot with the type 10 types of innovation. And what I love about these approaches is a view that innovation is a discipline that, we can, that can actually be taught yeah. and learned. What do you think makes a good innovation leader? Um, yeah, and I'm really um, an advocate for um, promoting the idea that innovation is a business discipline. Um, but behind that, um, it's the people in the organisation that allow it to work. And so it's the leadership's responsibility to understand their responsibility to enable innovation to flourish within their organisation. And so that means rethinking. And, and, and innovation is really about thinking differently. And it's about getting robust discussion happening within your organisation. So it's about making sure that people feel comfortable about putting ideas up, that they feel comfortable about defending them, that they feel comfortable about telling the stories around them, and that they're understood, respected, and investigated on their merits. And so that the, a good innovation um, leader probably has an organisation which is aligned, engaged and prepared to have robust discussions because innovation is really hard and to push past the, the current, your current customer value network into that third space is difficult um, but really important. When we talk about the 10 types of innovation, we typically in our industry are really talking about the product side and the process side. Yep. What, what do you think are the important aspects that we miss well, I think this is um, interesting. The, 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 where is the value um, 
for the for a business to business engagement. Where's the value for a business to customer engagement? Um, do you see if you're in a business to business engagement that you're um, who your customer is clearly, and do you really understand their their current needs? But more importantly, their aspirations, where they want to go. So if it's, if you're just focusing on te- on technology and process improvement, it's a sort of a zero sum game because what what you'll end up doing is competing on price on a price point. Um, what we need to do is compete on value so that uh, you can make more margin and survive. And so to do that, you really not need to start thinking seriously about your network collaborations. You really not need to rethink uh, how you can make money out of this. And you really need to think about um, who your customers truly are and where their aspirations truly lie. And I think... Um, one of the common network things, which is which is often a simple thing to do, is understand where your suppliers' aspirations are and where they're heading and where they're putting their energy into uh, their f- future growth and sustainability as a business. So you can leverage that as well. What are, what do you think are the best examples of those types of alternative innovation for New Zealand um, in terms of business model or customer focus? Well, one, one which I really like at the moment, it's very popular, is Rocket Lab. Now, Rocket Lab is ultimately a, a technology business, but when you listen to Peter Beck, who's the founder of Rocket Lab, talk, it's a business model. And he's, he was a rocketeer, I think, from his childhood, but he hasn't let that get in the way of creating a good business. And he's understood wh- wh- what the customer opportunity is, what the value proposition is, which is um, uh, re- seriously reducing the launch cost of small satellites, uh, so he's taking a lead in that space, um, and uh, he's used technology to help close the gaps there with with three uh, D printing of, of engines and the construction of the of the um, rocket itself, uh, and it's a classic example of NZ ingenuity in many ways because he's done that on a on a relatively small budget compared to uh, his competition around the planet whose budget starts with, in dollar sense, start with Bs, not Ms. Um, so it's a, a classic New Zealand story. And I think Team Emirates, Team New Zealand, um, were another example of that where they're very constrained because they don't have the human resource, they don't have the um, financial resource, but they, come, they, they can still disrupt well-funded, well-resourced organisations around the world with, with new thinking. And I think Team Emirates and Rocket Lab are great New Zealand examples of that. Uh, for, let's talk about disruption a little bit. Um, can you explain the risks and opportunities offered by disruption? Uh, yeah, um, certainly. Um, if you do, don't um, engage in innovation, you will be disrupted. I don't think there's any question about that these days. This is... Um, um, a new business school that you have to master in order to have a sustainable business. We know that Fortune 500 companies' life cycle mid-last century was about 60 years. It's down to 12. Um, these are um, well-resourced organisations full of smart people, and they're not surviving. So if you think you can survive without um, mastering the craft of innovation in the world that we currently live in, then I think that's unrealistic. You have to engage somehow in innovation. Um, 
I prefer to call it for businesses. There's this, the, the word disruption. I think suggests massive, massive things which are going to shift a market or the world. Um, for most businesses, that's not going to happen. But I prefer to use the word transformation, where businesses can transform from where they are today to where they need to be in eight to nine years, and that's often business model innovation. Which, which, which really um, addresses those 10 types of innovation that we mentioned earlier. I think um, when you gave your presentation at our Innovation Ready program, uh, I think the audience really struggled to understand disruption looking forward. They couldn't really see how the metals industry was going to be disrupted, you know, looking out 10 years. But if you, when you gave the examples of disruption that had happened over our lifetime, so like the last 20 years, yep. People really could see how dramatic that change had been. Why do you think it is that we can't prepare looking forward, but we can see things only in retrospect? <laughs> it's always easy to look back in hindsight. But we live, as, as humans, as we live in a, in a linear world. Disruption's happening uh, at an exponential pace, and we can't comprehend that. We can perhaps comprehend that when we look back to see changes. An example I like to use and I probably use was, was the iPhone, which is only you know, 10 11 years old now, um, pre-iPhone world or smartphone world, what was it like um, and what opportunities did the smartphone create? Well, we have Facebook, we have Google, we have YouTube, we have real-time um, uh, a sort of information and knowledge gathering wherever we are these days and we sell back through. And the, and the business opportunities that came with that have been immense and they've driven the global economy over the last 10, 11, 12 years and they've caused social disruption and a whole bunch of things have flown out of that one simple technology device. Uh, and people get that. Going forward, when we look at some of the... Um, and that's Moore's... That, um, that type of technology is based around Moore's law, which means every, every year uh, there's an improvement of 45%. And as you, as you compound that out, suddenly it gets to an inflection point where, where we're multiplying things by millions rather than hundreds or tens. Um, and some of the biotech uh, technologies are going at the rate of 300% per year, which is just uh, uh, not possible for us to understand what that really means. And as we go across all these technologies which intersect with each other and they're all going at different rates, even, even solar, which is only 16% a year, has now reached an inflection point where it's beginning to, to boom. The costs are down, the performance is up. Um, the drive to actually move from fossil fuels to solar will, will drive um, costs further down and performance further up and we'll probably see a kick up in that. So even at 16%, it gets to a point where um, when, you're, when you're applying 16% to something which is large, that makes a big difference. So it is difficult. I think right now for businesses looking out that 8 to 10, which is about as far as you want to go, um, it's pretty obvious that artificial intelligence and data and automation and robotics are going to have a serious part to play in the, in the near future for most businesses. For manufacturing, that's probably um, industry 4.0 where there's a lot of automation and data to improve productivity um, and robotics as well comes to play there. And New Zealand's sort of at the advanced end of agricultural robotics, I believe. Um, so I think you can be pretty sure that some of these things are going to play out. And if you thought something like an iPhone disrupted the world, um, artificial intelligence is a 10x version of that. 
Um, and I've read a whole bunch of stuff around the impact on businesses. And the reality is if you, as a business, don't start using some of these tools, you won't last for very long. So if we think about blockchain as yeah. an example, uh some industries, so for example, Walmart, Walmart are using blockchain to track lettuces and I think it was something crazy like turnips or spinach. Yep. How come industries like metals um, are a bit slow off the block to take up things that supermarkets can? Well, um, blockchain's um, become very popular um, and it's one of those words which carries a lot with it. It's popular in the press. The reality of blockchain is, is quite challenging. Um, if you want to have a supply chain that's controlled through blockchain, the amount of collaboration that's required through all the suppliers and all the, all, all the exchange points and touch points is, is phenomenal. Um, currently, the technology is not instant, um, so there's a t- time delay and it consumes an enormous amount of energy. So in an environmental way, um, it... it if suddenly the world turned to blockchain, I don't think we'll have the um, energy requirements to support that. But I think there are improvements um, happening on that on that space. Uh, it's still, I think, um, something that companies need to look at pretty carefully because there are existing options and artificial intelligence um, can address a lot of those. Um, if you want to have a secure supply chain, then perhaps blockchain is something that's worth looking at. But as I said, it's complex. Um, and you really need to have a clear strategy about what you're trying to achieve, and you need to be able to work really well with all the suppliers along that supply chain, and they all have to be part of it, otherwise it falls over. What is your hot tip then for an emerging innovation that would have relevance for building and construction or manufacturing? Um, In the building and construction space, I think um, prefab or or, or converting buildings into... Um, a manufacturing mindset rather than a project mindset so that we get scale of economies and, and more pace. New Zealand obviously desperately needs more houses. Um, the way we currently traditionally build them is not going to meet that demand and we have to rethink how we do that. Uh, in, on the production side, um, with artificial intelligence, uh, which drives automation, data acquisition, sensors, robotics, uh, Industry 4.0 offers a whole lot of opportunities to be far more productive. Um, and productivity is one of the big challenges for New Zealand. And I think that's because we're a lot of, we're small businesses. It's much easier to, to drive productivity in a large global business, perhaps, than it is in a small business. Um, but I think artificial intelligence is one tool which will allow businesses to become far more productive. I think one of the examples you'd given to us previously at a HERA um, workshop was Les Mills. Yep. Um, h- how do you see – I think that's one that everyone can relate to. How yes. do you see that one um, being innovative and transformative? Well, you know, Les Mills is a, is a – or was just a gym – like every other gym. Um, and over a period of time, they, they developed an exercise routine, which they then moved, um, started selling into Australia, and they realised actually that there was a lot of demand for it, and, and, and they started to go globally. So now they have something like, they're represented in 80 countries around the world. They have something like uh, 48,000 gym instructors using their programs. Um, this has allowed them to... Um, make money in many different ways. 
So they, they obviously, they, they sell their IP, their exercise IP. They developed um, their own exercise equipment, which they can sell into that network globally. Uh, they co-brand food, clothing. They're, they have an umbrella brand with Reebok internationally, which helps their brand. Uh, and with a number of, of um, uh, instructors that they have, they can offer them insurance. So they have an insurance business going there as well. And they provide travel um, for exercise junkies to remote and challenging parts of the world so that when they're on holiday, they can continue exercising uh, you know, and, and um, with like-minded people. So really... Uh, it's a classic example of what innovation is. It doesn't have to be about technology often. It's about joining dots that nobody else has joined before. And it's about, the, you know, the real true driver of innovation is, is thinking differently and challenging the status quo constantly. Um, often the value doesn't require a, a technology um, solution. But in the world that we live in, that's unlikely these days. But uh, um, I think it's the, the opportunity comes first, the technology comes second. Yeah, I think it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because um, even when companies do have a dedicated innovation manager, which isn't every company even, mm. um, the innovation manager tends to be a technical person. So how do they get their head around all of those other aspects of innovation? That's true. And it's always a risk when you've got an innovation, uh, somebody called an innovation manager, that innovation becomes their job. Everybody chucks it over the fence to them. When we know that innovation is everybody's job, it's about collaboration, it's about different different mindsets, it's about different points of view, it's about bringing different experiences, individual experiences, and, um, and collectively. So um, that's a real challenge. And if it's um, – I think this is one of the problems is, is having um, that um, chief innovation officer role um, – that can happen. And I think when, when it's a technology role which has been given a new title, well, I think that's window dressing, seriously. And, and I think um, some of the better innovation organisations wouldn't have a, have a role that, um, a formal role like that. I think an innovation um, manager, if we can use that word, is somebody who's a facilitator. Facilitates um, people across the organisation to submit ideas and supports them and helps them, sort of lift them up, uh, uh, and and tries to help make um, or help drive collaboration and and deliver value to the business through that. Uh, and I don't think it's incumbent on them to say what what is and what isn't innovation or I am the innovation person. No, it's a much more of a collaborative thing. And out of all the skill sets that are out there, um, um, probably uh, industrial designers bridge that gap quite nicely because they have a foot in both camps yeah. and, and they're all focused on, on that human-centred approach, but they also really understand technology as well. And what can Callaghan Innovation do to support companies? Well, um, of course, Callaghan Innovation has got um, fantastic technical Resources. We have something like uh, 200 scientists on staff uh, who who do really deep research in a, in a range of areas. Um, there are grants to help companies um, defray their innovation or R&D costs. And, and complementing the R&D, we have um, skills programs to help build better innovation skills within, within organisations. And in terms of the um, actual expertise that Callaghan has... 
What kind of innovation areas is it covering that would be relevant for building and construction or? Well, there's um, materials, you know, advanced materials. We have uh, a 3D um, research capability and we're just about to install a, a, a 3D concrete printing capability. So we'll be doing research around that. We've done a lot, uh, and Callahan's um, uh, quite advanced in concrete research as well. So those things go together quite nicely. Um, obviously have digital and sensor technology, um, IoT areas of research. Um, um, there's measurement as well, which I think plays across construction in terms of compliance and all of those sorts of things as well. So I think, um, and, the, and there's um, biotech, but I don't, I don't think biotech really comes to play, although it may in the future, who knows, especially around energy. Thanks, Ross. You've been really inspiring and you've given us lots of challenges to think differently about innovation. Thanks, Troy. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Ross Pierce today. If you'd like to connect more with Ross, his details can be found in our show notes. Ross referenced the 10 types of innovation in our conversation today, and we love the following quote from Larry Keeley, the author of that book. Innovation almost never fails due to a lack of creativity. It's almost always because of a lack of discipline. Successful innovators analyse the patterns of innovation in their industry, then make conscious, considered choices to innovate in a different way. Food for thought till we meet you next time. So hit subscribe, and if you liked what you heard today, please like, review, or share with any metalheads you know. Let's spread the word. Hi, I'm Boaz Habib, Harris General Manager of Industry Development. If you liked what you heard today and want to learn more, join our Innovation Ready program. Ross is one of our speakers, along with a range of other international guests who are experts in innovation management training. I'm really excited about this course as the training modules cover really important skills and tools for innovation mindset, ideation, innovation process, innovation metrics, building an innovation strategy, and creating an innovation culture. They're all the things you need to successfully innovate within your business and plan for the future. Our next program kicks off on 13th June, and the best part is that the six-day program is spread out over six months, so it won't disrupt your day-to-day work commitments. Places are, however, strictly limited and only available to HERA members. So make sure you register before spaces run out. For more information, you can go to our website, hera.org.nz, and check out our events page. Feel free to contact me directly also. I'm always happy to have a chat. You can find my details in the show notes.